0: Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, there you, you go. You usually say when I talk to you offline, fair, fair to me. Yeah, fair to me. Fair to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a lot of news. Hey, I told you. I told you to give old AG Jeff Sessions some time. Hang tight. As he used to say in the police academy, we were on the muster deck. Stand easy, stand easy. <laughs> Give the man some time. If something doesn't start happening soon, all right, it's all good. All right. And you can start asking for terminations. And well, you can ask whatever you want. It's free country. I mean, you know, you're not obligated to listen to me. But why am I bringing this up at the beginning of the show? Well, one of the stories I'm going to get into today is there's a rumor. Joe, you probably heard it creeping out there in the news ecosystem about some uh, potential firings happening. And Deputy Director Andrew McCabe at the heart of this entire Spygate email uh, Clinton uh, email scandal that he may be uh, getting terminated. Uh, job-wise, we're not the left, of course, Uh, job-wise, before Sunday, Mm -hmm. which is his earliest retirement date. Yep. So we'll see what happens. I've got some ideas on that. I've got a couple other things, too. Some gun violence myths. These are just myths, folks. They are absolute myths. And in light of... um, of course, what happened yesterday with the rally and everything else. I want to get some facts out there and debunk some of these myths about gun violence so we can have a rational conversation. This is all important stuff. All right. Before we get into that today, I want to welcome a new sponsor. Ding, 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 all ding, right. ding. All right. We love new sponsors. Our friends at Blinkist. Blinkist. Now. You probably have a lot of meetings today, about 5,000 emails to get to. I know I do. And about 70 books or so. You told yourself you'd read one day and you want to allegedly have a life. But there's no time for that these days. Life is so busy. Our sponsor today can help you big time with one of those. They can give you back some time to help you get some rest and get your life back. Introducing the Blinkist app. Over 2,000 of the best-selling nonfiction books transformed into powerful packs you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. Summaries of the key points of some of our best books out there. Blinks of a book, insights. By the way, this thing is awesome because I buy books all the time and I never get to them. Since you're listening to this podcast, you probably love the idea of learning on the go with your smartphone. Imagine if you could listen to the key insights of a nonfiction book in just 15 minutes. With Blinkist, now you can feast your mind on the key ideas from top best-selling nonfiction books. They've got tons of them. I'll give you a list of what's hot now over there. Here's some great ones. Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. I love this one. This was okay. You Are a Badass by Jen Cicero. All right. Get smart by Brian Tracy. What you want, you, have, you check them out? You want the key insights of the books? Go to Blinkist. All right, right now, folks. Blinkist. Sorry, I'm a little uh, nasally today. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist. That's like blink. B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Dan right now. That's Blinkist.com slash Dan right now to start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan when you join today. That's blinkist. Blinkist.com/slash/dan start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan. Learn the essential. learn the essential ideas, folks, from the best books in your field. You're covering topics that are all over, like productivity, business, science, self improvement. What you're into, Blinkist got it. You can uncover subjects you never even knew you loved. Folks, this is a really great... Uh, I'm really happy to have him on, on board. Forbes, BuzzFeed, the New York Times, Lifehacker we're all talking about Blinkist. They were chosen in Apple and Google's best of selection for two years, and the app is used by over 4 million users. Blinkist.com slash Dan. All right, Dan. Welcome on board. Yeah, thanks, guys. Okay, so... McCabe, the rumor is that he may get fired before Sunday. Now, there Mm -hmm. are a couple of ups and downs to this. Uh, First, let me just explain to you again uh, McCabe's key role in this entire scandal because this is critical. McCabe... Is was the deputy director of the FBI during the Clinton email scandal. McCabe's wife uh, had run for office mm-hmm. as a Democrat while uh, being in charge. By the way, of this uh, of this Clinton email scandal, he was the deputy director, of the number two. But there's, it's not in question that he was in the uh, he was in the significant decision making chain for this process. McCabe's wife runs as a Democrat in the state of Virginia. McCabe's wife, um, I believe her name is Jill. Also received seven hundred thousand dollars in donations from PACs affiliated with Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat governor of Virginia, who is also deeply embedded with the Clintons. He's been a Clintonista his entire life. Mm. Now he doesn't recuse himself to the end. McCabe is uh, not a friend of Mike Flynn's. All you know that's a that's a whole other topic. Mm. But McCabe's role in this, and here's where I think the the problem is, and this is what I told you in a show if you listened to it a week ago. Here's where I think he's running into legal problems, McCabe, and I think his problems are way, way deeper than losing his pension if he gets terminated from the FBI before his Sunday retirement date. Now, I don't want to confuse anybody here, but just so you understand, he cannot retire before Sunday. All right, he can because of there are there are minimum times in service mm-hmm. that McCabe has to meet. But this Sunday, this is it. This is the red line. He has to get to that. He's like this at a marathon, Joe. <laughs> I'm almost there. Almost there. You know what I'm thinking? Oh, <laughs> Dude, you know what's funny? I'm watching you do that. Yeah. And I thought that was a drop <laughs> because that sounded so unlike you. He's almost there. It's like when your muscles lock up at the end of a marathon. Now, why is he in trouble? Because as I had said to you in one of the shows last week, the Inspector General Horowitz, who is conducting an internal affairs type investigation of the Clinton email investigation and crimes surrounding what may have happened or, uh, or 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 bureaucratic missteps that surrounded this, I had said to you that it's convenient. That Sessions, in an interview with Shannon Bream, had said that he already has someone looking into this from outside of Washington, D.C. Right. He said he's had someone for a little bit now. That time period corresponds to the discovery of leaks within the FBI about this case. I really can't lose you on this because this is a critical point. Folks, this is super important because there's so much rage directed at Sessions out there now, and I get it. I totally get it. I'm just suggesting to you, hold on. There is something going on behind the scenes. The appointment Jeff Sessions has already acknowledged that he made of an outside Washington, D.C. investigator within DOJ to look at all of this stuff Mm -hmm. That appointment corresponds to the release of the internal affairs IG report. I say internal affairs because it's easier for people to understand. I know that's not the proper title, so please don't email me on it. Uh, but well, you're welcome to if you'd like. But the internal affairs IG report released over this over the summer uh, that you know the summer that just passed information about leaks within the FBI. This is where McCabe, I believe, may be in a world of trouble. The leaks of classified information, folks, are a crime. Hmm. McCabe is... You see where I'm going with this show? Him losing his pension is the least of his worries right now. Now, the reason I think this is even an issue and why it's taking so long, because you may fairly enough, you may be asking, well, Dan, if Sessions was all over it, like you say he was, you know, why wait? Why wait till till now? You get it, Joe? Mm Yeah, yeah. You know, why wait till now? I mean, he's... his. The deadline is Sunday. Like, hey, dude, get on the ball. All of a sudden, we're supposed to have faith in you. You waited till the last minute. Folks, I believe this has been going on for a long time. But having worked within the federal government and the law enforcement side, I can tell you, and you, you, you probably know this just by instinct. The federal government is a bureaucratic mammoth. It is a a woolly mammoth. It is a beast. It is very, very difficult to fire people even who've been convicted of (laughs) crimes sometimes. It's really hard. It's not easy. Now, because of the responsibility to carry a firearm and the law enforcement authority given to law enforcement officers within the government, it is a little easier to fire law enforcement personnel because of that responsibility. If you're an administrative assistant in the social security office and you've been, you know, uh, uh, committed, a, you're, you know, you've been accused of a crime, the procedures, if you ever, if you're a gun carrier, you can lose your clearance and losing your clearance makes you ineligible to do the job. That may not be an issue for administrative staff in the social security administration. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're. I'm not knocking administrative Mm. folks. I'm just saying that uh, don't take it the wrong way. If you're inputting, say, uh, social security records Mm -hmm. and you work for social security, you may not need a top secret clearance to do that. So one of the mechanisms in my experience in the government on the law enforcement and intel side of getting rid of people is they pull their clearance. Now, obviously, if you're going to be if you're guilty of leaking classified information, you're going to lose your clearance. And if you lose your clearance, you cannot do the job yeah. because you have no access to the information you need. So they say, "Kindly uh, exit stage right." You, you get, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. No clearance, That's no g- gig. Yeah. No clearance. Well, as always, Joe yeah. sums it up nicely. No clearance, no gig, no job. Thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> so. But that process of revoking a clearance is not that clear cut. That may have been what took so long to get and push McCabe out the door. Yeah, It doesn't just happen like that. It's not a private company. It's the federal government. It moves at a glacial pace at best. Hmm. I mean, it is <laughs> as sclerotic an organization as you're ever going to find the federal government. I know I worked there. You can't get anything done. They still use paper to, to inventory your, uh, uh, your expense accounts overseas. Right. <laughs> your expenses, I shouldn't say expense accounts, but your expenses. It's unbelievable. We used to have to do these vouchers, Joe, for plane tickets, and <laughs> you'd wind up having to make uh, 500 copies. You're like, really? How many trees are we burning down with this thing? I thought you were supposed to be environmentalists. <laughs> so I told you, be patient with sessions just for now. Because I'm, I'm convinced, based on this latest piece of information that McCabe may be out as soon as tomorrow, that things are happening. And if listen, if he's not out by next weekend, when obviously by Monday's show, we'll know. And I'll come back and say, hey, listen, it didn't work out. They didn't get rid of him. But there is no doubt in my mind somebody is trying. I assure you the news channels that are running with this story are not doing it based on nonsensical, uh, spurious information. You get what I'm saying, Joe? They're getting this from reliable sources mm-hmm. that McCabe may be out the door. Mm-hmm. I am confident that this is that the information came from the IG. It is probably in the hands of this person. Sessions has not named him or her yet outside of D.C. who is looking into all this stuff. And that information is probably being used right now to try to get McCabe out the door. Something big is going to happen. That's why it's being released on a Friday, Dan. Yeah, I think so. I think may, that, you know what, they may have it now, and it may be, you know what, Joe, it's a good point. You know. Maybe they're trying to spare him the embarrassment, yeah. because he still has information that he could use if he goes public, there's no doubt. Remember I told you this on a show months ago, Yeah, well, people said, well, why is Peter Stroke and Lisa Page the, the two... Uh, lovers there doing their thing who uh, were investigating the Clinton email scandal and were on the Trump special counsel and exchanged those really nasty texts about the Trump, uh, Mm -hmm. Trump people. And I said to you, one of the reasons I think they're still working there is because they have information. Better to have those people contained indoors than have them out there doing their thing. So it's a good point, Joe. Maybe they're waiting till Friday, Friday at 5 o'clock, to do a data dump it, to say, hey, Andy, here's the deal. We're going to fire your butt. Yep. You're out the door. We're going to save you some public embarrassment. So we're going to announce this Friday at 5.01. At mm-hmm. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. So good point. That's actually a good analysis. I hadn't thought about that. So it could be. But we'll, I mean, either way, you and I will know on Monday. Yeah. Um, hey, I got some good news, by the way, for you folks. My, uh, my wife, on a side note, is working on, uh, I've been calling it the chum store. <laughs> Finally, we're working on uh, some t-shirts and some mugs. So I'm real excited about it. I'll hopefully have some Ch- announcements soon on chum that. Chum store. The chum chum. St- chum. Yeah, you know, chum. You throw it in the water. Chum. We, uh, that was a Secret Service thing. In the Secret Service, we had a store, a Secret Service <laughs> yeah. store at the training center. You can go and get stuff with the Secret Service logo on it. And uh, we used to call it the chum store. Chum. You Chum. Because it was a good way on the road yeah. to make people feel good. Gotcha. You know, when you're on the road, not, not to beat this up, folks, I never really talk about personal stuff because I don't want to waste your time, but it's an interesting story about how law enforcement works. <laughs> you know, in the movies, right, Joe, you've seen movies about the Secret Service and the FBI. What do they do? They show up, they flip a badge, you're like, Secret Service, FBI, yeah. all you little local law enforcement punks, <laughs> yeah. get out of the way. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you try that in the real world, you're going to get your (laughs) kicked all over that town. You're going to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you think you're going to tell the local law enforcement how this is how it's going to go down, and you're in the wrong town, believe me, because they're going to laugh your caboose right out of town (laughs) if you don't get your butt kicked beforehand. The real world, that's not the way it works. You show up, humble as all hell, and you go, hey, Mr. Sheriff in Chattanooga, you think you could do us a favor and shut down the roads? That's the way it really works. (laughs) I know, I was there. So the chum store helped because you'd you'd spend your own money. You'd go, you'd get like two three hundred dollars worth of Secret Service coins, T shirts, golf balls, and you know when you're done with the visit because these are really nice guys, you mm-hmm. you hand out some chum and they like it. Cool. So that's where the, the Thanks, chum... Man. But we will have a Dan Bongino show chum store up and running right. soon, which is really good. All right. Um. What do I get to next? All right. Let me get to this before I get to the gun violence stuff because this is really uh, just. It was such a well-done piece. The the author at The Daily Signal did a great job. I'm going to try to have her on my NRA TV show today at 5.30 uh, P, which you can watch at nratv.com for free. Uh, It's so good. Before I get to that, I want to bring up another uh, point. Pat Cadell, who uh, whether you listen, whether you like Pat or not, he's on Fox a lot. You've probably seen him. He's a very nice guy in person. Super nice. I mean, has a big heart, Uh, but he's a Democratic strategist. He had a really great point about the Pennsylvania 18 election that I wanted to put out there because there's, you know, there's understandably a lot of hurt feelings about it. And people are getting worried. And as I said to you on yesterday's show, I'm not here to gloss over these things. Uh, yesterday's show, I indicated to you that the the results of that election, that congressional special election between Connor Lamb and Rick Saccone in Pennsylvania are devastating for Republicans. And us, you know, pretending and putting lipstick on the pig here that it was no big deal are it's not going to do anybody any favors. The bottom line from that race, I think I got to yesterday, was it was a Republican plus 11 district a Democrat is going to wind up winning. The absentee ballots are not going the other guy's way. And R plus 11, that is a heavily, heavily Republican-skewed district. Now, let me be clear on this because some people emailed me. They said, well, there are a lot more Democrats registered there. It doesn't matter. I don't care about the registration. I care about how people vote. Mm. Historically, people there, even if they're registered Democrat, have voted Republican. That R, that Charlie Cook PVI that R plus Republican plus eleven number is heavy. I, I I ran in a D plus six, and I was considered a a what fifty to one underdog. This was double that in the Republican side. Wow! And the guy wound up winning. I know. I've been through this process to win an R plus eleven as a Democrat or a Democrat plus eleven as a Republican is a an astronomical upset. But Cadell had a really good quote on this race and an interesting piece of analysis I wanted to just put out there for you. He made a really great point. And this is a quote from him. He said, voters never reward you for what you've done in the past. Every election is about the future. So a couple of thoughts on that, folks. Listen, Ciccone was not a great candidate. I'm not going to pile on the guy. I mean, he he had a, he ran good for him. He's got a lot of uh, guts putting his name on the ballot, and I'm not here to trash the guy. But he obviously, from from everything I've heard, was not a great candidate. I'm not saying he's not a great guy. He wasn't a great candidate. That the skills to win weren't there. Clearly, um, maybe the speeches weren't inspirational. The volunteers weren't inspired. Um, I I don't know what it is, but. It makes more sense, his failures as a candidate, in light of that quote. Failing to inspire is failing to make people believe that you are going to lead them down or represent them in some path that's going to be better for them. He didn't do it. But secondly, and the more important takeaway, is to the GOP, if you're listening, and I know some of you do. I know it, because I've heard it. Gosh, you've got to get off your butts. We can't run on the tax cut. Remember, let me say that again. This is the quote from Cadell. Voters never reward you for what you've done in the past. Every election is about the future. The tax cut's great. I love it. Good job. Round of applause. Mm -hmm. It's over. It's over. We did it. Great. What's next? If every election is about the future, which he's right about, Cadell, I I am 100% convinced what he's saying is spot on accurate. What is the future plan? How are we doubling down on the tax cut? What are we going to do next? Is it regulatory reform? I saw some action on Dodd-Frank getting rid of some components of that that have been really cumbersome for small banks in America that are trying to lend money. What are we doing about government spending, Joe? A huge issue. Mm-hmm. What are we doing about defunding Planned Parenthood? What are we doing about you know, military technology? What are we doing about uh, you know, school choice initiatives? What do we do? These are all critical, critical components. What are we doing to advance Second Amendment, uh, the Second Amendment, hmm. and re- national reciprocity? You know, wh- why is why does the Constitution end at the state line when it comes to the Second Amendment? Why is a concealed carry uh, permit holder in the state of Florida can I not carry my weapon in New York? I mean, I can because of it, HR two eighteen, but most can't. Why? I, I'm convinced, Joe, that the GOP seemed to think that they could ride this tidal wave of economic optimism from the tax cuts into the next election and not do anything. Folks, that's not going to work. Every election's about the future. What's listen? What's next? What's next? Right. What are you guys doing? You've done nothing on spending. We've thrown the the, the BCA, the sequester, out the window. You know that you you want to inspire. Solid conservative, libertarian, and Republican voters. You want to inspire them to believe that you're you're going to provide them prosperous leadership in the future, a, pro- a more prosperous America through the votes you're going to take. And yet, your, your your recipe for the future is what? To run on a tax cut you passed a few months ago. Great, but that's not enough. You've got to do something. The do matters. You've got to get off your butts. I I I just I can't. I can't say that enough. I just feel like there's this apathy that's set in like, well, we won the House of Reps. We won the Senate. We won the presidency. We passed the tax cut. That's not the way this works. You need big, bold agenda items. It's the only way. Fun. I didn't mean to give, I'm not trying to give in some kind of inspirational speech today. I just want to put it out there that resting on your laurels is not a recipe for future success. All right. Today's show also brought to you by my buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. I love their product, Field of Greens. It's so good. It's become my go to drink during the day. Why? Because you need fruit and vegetable insurance. Because most of us don't have time every single day to eat the volume of fruits and vegetables. You and I both know, and every respected doctor and nutrition scientist in the world knows fruits and vegetables. And consumption on a mass scale of fruits and vegetables is the key to good health. Fiber, the micronutrients, the macronutrients. Heck, there are chemicals in food. Life, you know, life-enhancing chemicals in food. In fruits and vegetables, we don't even know about yet. I mean, think about the French paradox, right? All of these, how the French can eat these high fat diets and they live so much longer. People don't know, but they know this fruits and vegetables are the key to a long, productive, healthy life. You have to eat your fruits and vegetables. Now, <sighs> I work from home, so I'm at a little bit of an advantage, but most of you don't. Most of you go out and you do a nine-to-five job where you're busting your butts, you're in your car. My studio is in my house. I can go to the fridge and grab some dried berries. A lot of you don't have that opportunity. This is your fruit and vegetable insurance. It is real food, high-quality fruits and vegetables ground up into a powder that tastes terrific tastes like a cherry licorice kind of blend. You throw a scoop in water, in green tea. I throw it in V8. I'm, I like V8. I mix it up. I slug it down, and I know my fruit and vegetable insurance is there. I know I've consumed the good, healthy quality of fruits and vegetables because a lot of fruits and vegetables are water. You squeeze out the water, and that's what you get. You get a ground-up powder. This is real food. Folks, this stuff is great. Give it a shot. It's one of my favorite products. I take two scoops a day. I've been going through volumes of it. The product is called Field of Greens. It's available at brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. That's brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan Field of Greens. Check it out today. Brickhousnutrition.com slash Dan. Okay. Um a note on yesterday's rally because I, I owe you an opinion. Uh the reason I was hesitant um, you know, yesterday to bring it up and even today is uh, you know, folks, I, I just I feel like these kids are being taken advantage of. I I, I do. I, I I am. And Dana Dana Lash said it uh, well this morning on Fox, and I applaud her for bringing up this point that we can't credibly though. And this is the kind of the conundrum I find myself in. So on one side, I mean it's obvious that the rally, at least in D.C., was made political. Well, why? Because politicians were up and talking. We had every. You tell me a Democrat politician. They were there giving political speeches. Yep. Uh, so, that's that, that. That's not, there's nothing controversial about that unless your media matters. A political rally is where politicians speak about political causes. That's what happened at the DC portion of the rally. But I do believe a lot of kids out there really would just, hey, we got to, you know, I saw signs never again. Okay, we agree. But Dana on the other side, so on one side, I'm, I'm torn because politicians, I think, took advantage uh, of the opportunity to advance their political cause, not necessarily the cause of a lot of these kids. On the other side, Dana said, you know, we're a Second Amendment advocacy organization. She was talking about the NRA, which uh, she's a spokesperson for. She says, so, you know, I could never go out there and nor would I and nor are we interested on in ever of speaking out against anyone's First Amendment rights. That is your right. Absolutely. To go out there and thank God we have it and we will passionately defend your right to do so. So I was torn a bit because and if you notice, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm usually pretty vocal on Twitter, on the news of the day. Mm-hmm. I have tweeted nothing or retweeted anything about um about this the rally because i just i'm torn on that issue having said that though there is a lot of misinformation out there and what i find odd about the rally is some of the same politicians who made parts of that rally political showed up yesterday protected by men and women carrying firearms funny how that works which is odd. So I did tweet out last night before I went to bed, which you may say, well, I thought you didn't tweet. No, last night before I went to bed, because I saw that, because that part I found kind of interesting. That it's fascinating that there's a rally going on, Use you know, where kids were there at this political rally in D.C., where the kids are advocating to take away rights from their parents, while the politicians showing up to speak at the rally are protected from the same kids and parents with the firearms they want to take away. The irony. I did I just say any of that wrong? No. I mean tell me about what I just said is wrong. There kids at a rally are speaking out about taking rights away from their parents. While politicians show up to advocate for taking those rights away protected using the tools the kids want taken away from their parents. I, I found the, the, the irony of that just stunning. Like, does anybody else get this? Am I missing this? It just seemed quite odd. And I I, I was on Tucker last night. And I, there's one other point I want to bring up, which I missed on the show last night, because it was a, a, a three, four minute segment. You know, when I was a Secret Service agent, we went to schools that were gun-free zones with guns when we were protecting the president's kids. Think about that. So when the president's kids are involved, the VIPs, the elites, the dignitaries among us, gun-free zone signs don't matter at all. We ignored them. We didn't we didn't even, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, Joe, we sure. just did our thing. Then it's okay. But when it's your kids involved, we're expected to rely exclusively on the sign. That says this is a gun-free zone. So when it's elites, the kids and the children of elites, We realize that the sign will do absolutely nothing. Everybody understands that because there'll be a real penalty for failure, a real penalty in terms of the elites. But when it comes to our kids, when the real penalty would be something happening to our kids, then we're supposed to only rely on the sign with no tactical measure to fight back at all. No, no, no guns on campus. It's a gun-free zone. But why doesn't that work for the elites? Why not just say to the Secret Service, hey, guys, this is a gun-free zone. We don't need those here. Why don't they do that? Well, has it occurred to any of the liberals listening to the show? I know you're there, I get your emails. Has it occurred to you that when the penalty is 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 a penalty for an elite or a wealthy person who has access, that they all realize the sign is is a joke, it's a farce, it's not gonna matter. But again, when it's your kids, they rely exclusively on the sign. It's very it's it's <laughs> I mean, it's it's disturbing. Yeah. Oh man the hypocrisy is just endless and they you know the fact that people can't be honest about it all right. I wanted to get to this piece. It's up at the Daily Signal today, and it's very, uh, very good. It's about some gun violence myths. I haven't done a show like this in a while, and I'm probably gonna I'm gonna try, like I said, to have the the author of the piece on my NRA TV show tonight because it's so very good and it addresses some of the biggest thirty thousand feet issues on firearms and how the myths are so pervasive and so easily debunked by actual data and real world experience. Um, here's myth number one. Myth number one is that America is this grotesquely violent place. Now, I addressed this in the past with a Mises blog article about how the way the left portrays America as some uniquely violent cabal of of devious, you know, uh, legion of doom criminals. (laughs) Is they compare them to a handful of countries that don't resemble us and they say, in this in the civilized world america's the most violent place on earth ah! meanwhile keep in mind folks that doesn't comport at all with your experience the truth is the overwhelming majority of our listeners out there thankfully will never in their entire lives be victims of a violent crime but how does that comport with the left theory joe the left theory is this place is so violent you can't even walk out of your house mm. those things don't gel. well mm. Not to do the old show over again, but the point in that piece was that when you compare America to places that look like us, um, that are um, diverse like us in socioeconomic background, culture, heritage, race, gender, creed. When you compare America to places that look like us, that we are actually quite safe. Now, that may not make you comfortable comparing America to places like Russia um, and Mexico, based you know, for different reasons, like based on uh, income scale, you may say, well, they're not as wealthy as we're. Yeah, fair enough. But wealth doesn't make people more violent or less violent. The fact of the matter is, when you when you look at a company, a country population size somewhat close to us, uh, Russia, they, we are actually geometrically safer. When you look at a, a place that has more of a, a, a similar kind of a diversity component like Mexico, like we do, we have a lot of Hispanic immigrants. We're actually quite safer. What they do is they cherry pick these these countries that are largely homogenous and they say, oh, look, America, you're so uniquely violent. That's not true. So, number one, I did, that was kind of off. I should have stuck to it, but it's, I, I'm passionate about this, folks. I like to debunk this stuff. Number one myth America's this uniquely violent place is nonsense. America's getting safer, folks. Now, there have been pockets of increased crime in big cities, ironically, run by <laughs> Democrats. But even those trends are starting to turn down. Mm-hmm violent crime has been this is from the piece, violent crime has been declining Joe since the 1990s that's a fact America is not getting more violent America' is getting safer this read the daily signal piece if you I'm, I'm going through the key points because it's 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 not that long it's about seven to nine hundred words she has links studies bullets the author of the piece all of it laid out in there nicely I'm giving you the highlights of it in the top line Top line number one, America is not getting more violent. It's getting safer. Point number two, Joe. Hmm. The real public safety concerns when it comes to firearms are suicides and illegal guns. Folks, that's just backed up by the data. The data. Are you interested in the numbers? Are we interested in the data? Are we interested in the real world? What are we trying to do here? Are we trying to advance an ideological cause here, gun confiscation, by ignoring the data? Or are we trying to have a reasonable argument based on what's actually happening in the real world, buttressed by facts, data, and research and on-the-ground experience? What are we trying to do? If you're interested in the real threats to public safety from gun violence, the public safety concerns here are suicides and illegal guns? How do I know this? This fact's been out there for a long time, but she highlights it in the piece. Two thirds of all gun deaths, Joe, are suicides. suicides. Now, th- listen. That notice, I I clearly stated in the headline. This is still a public safety concern because someone kills themselves with a gun. That's not. Oh, no worry. They just killed themselves. This is clearly a concern. But arguing about the gun violence problem in the United States and pretending it is someone attacking you with it when in reality they're ending their own life, they are, Joe, let me be crystal clear. These are two significant problems, mm-hmm. but they are not the same problem. They are not the same problem. Does that make sense? They are. These are a person killing themselves mm-hmm. as, as, a tra- as a tragedy. A person shooting you Is a tragedy, too, but they're different. Mm -hmm. Liberals need you to believe that you are under some kind of a special threat from a firearm. And the way they do that is by disingenuously proclaiming through their talking points that the threat from gun violence is to you. Which listen, in many cases it was, but that is not where the data says the overwhelming number of cases are from. Two thirds of these of of uh, gun deaths are suicides. People who are killing themselves. Now, if, if we have time, I'm going to get into one of the what I think the real crisis is and why this is happening, but that is a different problem. Clearly, there's some kind of psychopathology, mental health issue going on. I mean, clearly, who ends the I I can't imagine doing that. There's something going on. There's some mental health issue so powerful that someone couldn't deal with the pain anymore and ended it. But that is a different problem than that person going out with a gun and shooting, God forbid, Joe Armacost. God forbid. Man, we couldn't lose Joe. Where would we get all those zingers? It's a different problem. So just to recap, number one, America's getting safer, not more violent. Number two, the public safety concerns are suicides and illegal guns. Another point under this, a sub-bullet. So 2 th- no, no pun intended. Sorry about that. Folks. Sometimes, you know, you say stuff and you're like, but you know what it means, right? Yeah. Joe's like, woo, yeah. right over there. <laughs> so two-thirds of gun deaths are suicides. Uh, second, uh, uh, let's call them sub-points here for the, uh, for, for the purposes of this. 80% of gun crimes are carried out with illegal guns. 8 out of 10 gun crimes are committed with people who either stole the guns, acquired the guns illegally, straw man purchases from other people. In other words, the law didn't matter. I've been making this point over and over. Criminals don't care about gun laws. They don't care. It doesn't matter to them. They are entirely irrelevant. One of the oddest things I find about people that argue about gun laws is gun laws work the opposite of most laws designed to stop violence and criminality in our society. Think about this. This is a point worth repeating. When you have a law for something that's really horrible like a burglary, like breaking into people's homes, mm-hmm. aggravated assault, whatever it may be. I I'm I'm confidently telling 90 plus percent of my audience that law will not affect you one bit and it will not alter your behavior one bit that law is designed to put a perimeter around the behavior of criminals not you you are not going to burglarize a house a law against burglary is not going to affect you the listener at all. You were never going to burglarize a house whether there was a law against it or not. If we were in the zombie apocalypse, you would not burglarize someone else's house. I don't know. Well, maybe if we were in the zombie apocalypse. But you get the point. (laughs) The perimeter around the behavior is designed to put a perimeter around the bad guy's behavior. Bad guys don't do this. Right, Joe? Or (laughs) here's what's going to happen. You get charged and convicted a burglar, you're going to do five, ten years in jail. It's not going to affect you. Neither are, you know, robbery laws or any of these other laws. Gun laws work the opposite way. They put a perimeter fence around the behavior of the law abiding while the criminals are outside the fence looking in and laughing. They're like, oh, you guys have to go fill out a 4473. You guys have to wait three to seven days or ten days, maybe. You guys can't buy a standard, you know, thirty-round magazine. You guys can't do this, but they don't care. They just shop in the black market on the street. Hey, I need a nine millimeter. Okay, thanks. Here you go. They don't care one bit. Criminals don't care. Let me read that statistic again. 80% of gun crimes are carried out with illegal guns. Joe, 80% is bigger than 50%, right? Yeah. So it's well over a majority. Yeah, Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's well over a majority. 80%. Eight out of 10. They just steal them. They go in the cars. They steal them. They break into homes. They steal them. They get straw men to buy them for them. They buy them from the the Saturday Night Specials Mm -hmm. on the street. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Firearm laws work the opposite way. They stop you in many cases from protecting yourself against the wolves that they don't care at all. They're outside the fence. They live in the black market. That's what they do. They don't get you go to the state of Maryland where you can't get an HQL a concealed carry license there. New York where you can't carry at all. You need some kind of connections, political connections. Criminals don't care. You're the one. Your behavior's altered, not theirs. So the public safety concerns here, again, being suicides and illegal guns, you should hammer home to your liberal friends that criminals don't care about gun laws because 80% of the gun crimes that are committed are committed with illegal guns. Oh, but we need another law. What? Why? Because the first law didn't... Oh, criminal... Oh, I get it. I get it. I get your point. And now it makes a world of sense, Joe. (laughs) criminals didn't care about the gun laws now. It's the new gun laws they're going to care about. That makes a ton of sense. I totally get it. All right, finally, under this second header here about the public safety concerns being suicides and illegal guns. Joe, this is I this one I didn't know. Hmm. More people are stabbed every year, sadly, than are murdered with rifles. I didn't know that either. Matter of fact, Joe, more people are killed by blunt force trauma from a blunt object then are murdered with rifles as well. Hmm. So, again, if the public safety concern now, just shifting a little bit here, is to rifles, the AR-15 platform, whatever it may be, 556 five, rifles, 223 rifles, if that's your big public safety concern, why is it your concern knives and baseball bats and 4x4s? And four that's a bigger public safety concern based on the actual real-world data, folks. Why aren't we banning lumber? Oh, damn! that's stupid. You can't outrun lumber. I mean, you, uh, you know, you, you, you can't outrun a, a rifle round, but you can outrun—I've heard this lie. You can't run a baseball—yeah, no kidding. That's why we need to defend ourselves against it, because you can't outrun it. With what? With firearms. That's why we have that right. You're making my point, not yours. I can run away from a baseball bat too. And hopefully a knife if I'm fast enough. I may not be with my broken knees. <laughs> but you may, you you get it, Joe? Yeah. How When liberals use that talking point, they go, well, guns are uniquely dangerous. You can't outrun them. Exactly. And 80% of crimes committed with guns are committed by guns that are illegal. Mm-hmm. Meaning I should have the right to defend myself against something I can't outrun. What do you want me to just sit there and take it? You're making our point, not yours. But there's nobody arguing, Joe, to ban knives. yet. that'll be next. And four by fours. I shouldn't give him any ideas, right? Hmm. But more people are stabbed and killed by blunt force trauma than a murder with rifles. Those are just the numbers, folks. However uncomfortable they may be for you. All right, I've got two more to get to. Uh, Before I get to that, I just want to... I want to welcome on another uh, new sponsor. Really happy to have them on board, and I really, folks, appreciate your time in this. I, I the show has to be paid for, and we have some really good people uh, who do that for us. It means a lot to me, so I appreciate um, your patience, and I really thank you for supporting our sponsors. As a, you know, I feel like for, through your emails that I know a lot of you, and I it means a lot to me. We've stuck to a hard deadline of three reads per show. Um, because I know your time is valuable, so I really appreciate it. But we have another new sponsor. It's a really great company. I'm happy to have them on board. They've already saved me a boatload of money. It's Thrive Market. Um, if you like to shop or organic, folks, if you like to shop for non-GMO foods, you know this stuff gets super expensive. I remember uh, there's a place Joe yeah. in Severna Park, an organic market I used to go. Yeah. you know, I know what I'm I know talking, what you're about? talking about. Yeah. Oh man, I, nice guys in there, but. Gosh, you go in there, you'll go broke. Mm-hmm. So when I saw this opportunity, uh, I and they said, would you be interested in, in uh, doing a read for Thrive Market? I was like, I looked at the website, and I said to my wife, how are the prices? She's like, they're incredible. I said, hell yeah, let's bring them on board. It's a revolutionary online marketplace. They're on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable to everyone. You can shop for thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products. I use all this stuff. Apple cider vinegar, coconut oil. Always... Always at 25 to 50 percent below traditional retail prices. You don't you don't believe me? Go you can check it out. (laughs) You think I'm kidding with you. Check out the Thrive Market brand products because they are the highest quality ingredients at even more affordable prices than the current premium products carried on the site. You can get everything you need, folks. Non-GMO foods, snacks, vitamins, supplements, personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, safe and non-toxic beauty products, kitchen staples, home goods, organic baby food, kids products, much, much more. It's all shipped straight to your door. Check out their catalog. You can even filter it uh, by values, dietary preferences. It's You go to the site, you're going to be very, very happy. The prices are phenomenal. More than 70% of the Thrive Market catalog cannot be found on Amazon. Please go check it out. You know, it doesn't make sense that some of these non-organic products cost more than organic natural products. And now for the first time in history, you can easily access these wholesome alternatives to conventional, uh, conventional products found at traditional supermarkets at the same prices or lower. They have a special deal for you, folks. Listen, Thrive Market prices, are already up to 50% off. And now they're giving you an extra $60 in free groceries plus free shipping. That's $60 of free organic groceries plus free shipping at a 30-day trial. Here's where you need to go. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Bongino. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Bongino, Thrive Market.com. Dot com slash Bongino. Check it out today. You're going to love it. The prices, I promise you, are going to blow your mind. One of the products I looked at was half price from what me and my wife are spending now at the local grocery store. And I love them over there, but I just realized how much money I'm wasting on these some of these other stores by not going to Thrive Market. Go check it out. Okay. Welcome on board, Thrive. I love you, man. All right. Here's number three here. More of these gun violence myths that are really uh, disturbing more guns does not equal more crime again folks read the daily signal piece the author does a tremendous job putting this together but these are just the facts however uncomfortable they may be for people strongly desirous of more restrictive laws now some data points because anybody can say that i've said this to you repeatedly Mm -hmm. i've i've had posted on twitter charts here showing this gun ownership in the united states has gone up and gun violence has gone down when you do a scientific survey folks you want the biggest sample size possible if i am testing the effects of a medicine or a treatment on a population i don't just test it on joe joe may have some unique gene code which he's a non-adapter to that medicine so in order to randomize the effects across people i want a really big audience of subjects The biggest audience possible is the United States and firearm ownership has gone up dramatically and gun violence has gone down, up, down. So the, the, the thesis out there by the left is entirely not true that more guns equals more crime because more guns doesn't. Now, does not equal more crime. It's the inverse. Having said that, I entirely understand. I hate that I have to keep doing this, but I get it that correlation is not causation. For those of you who are new listeners, I've used this example often. I'll bring it up again. The winter is correlated with more head colds. That does not mean cold weather causes head colds. Some of you listening may be like, you sure? I've heard that forever. No, it doesn't. Or else, you know, Eskimos would be sick all the time. the reason the cold weather is correlated but doesn't cause colds correlated meaning there's a relationship but it's due with it's due another variable it's not direct is the cold weather causes your mucous membranes to secrete more mucus in your nose because the air is dry so you wind up blowing your nose more in the winter you also wind up rubbing your nose more because of you know the secretions it bothers some people mm-hmm. You rub your nose more, you're introducing germs into your nasal passages, and that's why you get sick more. And that's it. It's not the cold weather. It's not. It is a correlational, not a causal relationship, meaning two factors move together in some direction, but they're not necessarily related. More winter, more colds. The winter cause colds? No. It just caused you to rub your face more. <laughs> that's it. If you stop rubbing your face more, you wouldn't get more colds in the winter. I say that because I am I am absolutely conceding the point to our liberal friends that just because there are more guns in the United States and less crime, that that doesn't mean more guns cause less crime, but it does mean that your argument that more guns equals more crime is entirely nonsensical. I'm not making any other point than that. Am I clear on this, Joe? Yeah. Because I get emails about this all the time. Really? Yes, there are people who... Do, they're usually from liberal listeners, which you're always welcome here, of course. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean it. I, I Preaching to the choir is not my only goal here. But they fail to understand what I'm trying to say. Man, it sounds pretty simple to me. I mean, yeah. it, it, It's not. I will get an email from a liberal listener who will say, what are you saying? More guns causes less crime. I am not saying that. It may. I don't know that. I'm not a researcher on the topic. I am simply suggesting your premise that more firearms equals more gun violence is absolutely categorically false. It's not true. The inverse is true. Your correlation is wrong. It is not backed up by any group of collective data in the United States. You're just making it up. Now, to further solidify this point and drive it home, some... uh, data points from the Daily Signal piece, which are really good. Joe, both Switzerland and Israel have higher gun ownership rates than the United States. I didn't know that. I knew about Switzerland. Hmm. I didn't know that about Israel. They also have fewer gun homicides and fewer violent crimes. Now, you may cherry pick and say, well, you know, the United Kingdom has less gun homicides and they have more restrictive (laughs) guns. I could do that too. I just did it. You see the point I'm trying to make? I am not trying to prove that more firearm ownership equals less crime. I'm simply telling you the premise you're making, more firearms, more gun crime, is not true. Mm-hmm. The correlation doesn't hold up. What about UK? What about Israel? You answer me about Israel and Switzerland, and then I'll answer you about the UK, because it's the same answer. Mm-hmm. Your premise is simply wrong. It doesn't stand up as you increase the data set. It doesn't. OK, here's another one. Right to carry states, despite liberal assertions otherwise, Joe, where people have the right to carry firearms. Mm-hmm. With this, well, you know, the Second Amendment guarantees that right. But states that have honored the Second Amendment, which shouldn't be an issue, but is sadly, have seen decreases in violent crime. Liberals keep touting uh, other, you know, other research that says otherwise. But what they do is they cherry pick certain areas. The research is pretty clear on this that the right to carry decreases violent crime, doesn't increase it. Here's another this was a great point. Hat tip to the author on this one. Gun ownership, Joe, is higher in rural areas, Mm -hmm. a lot higher than it is in urban areas, city type environments. But murder rates are higher in urban areas. How is that? Hmm. That's a great point. How is that? How is it that murder rates are higher? In urban areas, when gun ownership rates are lower, legal gun ownership, because we don't know about the illegal ones, that goes back to a whole other point. But how is it, if your premise is more firearms equals more crime, how does your premise stand up there? Yeah, th- I, thank you. That's a perfect time for our head scratching uh, drop. I don't. It doesn't make any sense. More guns equals more gun crime. Yeah, but th- there are more guns in rural areas, and the murder rate's lower, not higher. Uh, 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 oh, hold on. Let me get back to you on that one. Here's another one. Another great point. Gun freedom states, as measured by the Brady Center, which is uh, they're an anti-gun advocacy group, right? Yeah. yeah. They gun freedom states, and this is a bad thing for them. For us, it's great. Mm-hmm. But their thing is gun freedom states really bad. States that have a relatively non-restrictive firearm laws, like New Hampshire, Vermont, Idaho, and Oregon also have very low homicide rates <laughs> you know <laughs> folks y- you're seeing a pattern develop yeah. here again i'm not suggesting it's causal it may be i i do i kind of owe you some explanation of this it may be causal and one of the reasons i think it is is because a very simple reason joe if you're a burglar. Mm-hmm. If you're a forced entry, uh, you know, robber wants to break into a house, mm-hmm. you want to break into a house with an armed uh, subject or a non-armed subject? Eh, that would be a non-armed sub- subject. it yeah, would thing. be yeah. non-armed, right, Joe? Yeah. There you go. Joe, the audience ombudsman always <laughs> comes up with a nugget of brilliance. You don't want to break into a house where you think the homeowners could potentially cost you your life. Hell no. So I, I, I my humble opinion, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a researcher on this topic, but a little bit of common sense here. Have my experience in law enforcement dictates to me that the reason some of these violent crime rates in high gun ownership areas and high gun ownership states is lower is because people don't want to lose their life to commit a crime. This is not complicated to figure I, out. Okay, uh, here's one more. Australia. I've already talked about the research on Australia. Uh, the American Medical Association and a number of other studies have shown that the Australia gun confiscation law had little effect on suicide and homicide rates. Uh, It's just whatever the liberals tell you about Australia, they're making it up. The laws had very little effect, statistically significant effect on homicide or suicide rates. All right. um, One more point on this, because I know we're running a little low on time today. Check that out there. Oh, yeah. 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 I like these beefy shows full of uh, information. (laughs) Uh, Point number four, concealed carry weapons holders. This is an amazing statistic, Joe. Our law abiding citizens, at, well, you say, well, what does that mean? Give us some context. People who hold concealed carry permits commit crimes, Joe, at estimates of one sixth and one tenth the rate of, you thought I was going to say like the general population, right? Mm-hmm. They commit crimes at one sixth to one tenth the rate of police officers. <laughs> oh! Yeah, there are some police officers who commit crimes, unfortunately. Mm. Concealed carry permit holder, that is obviously in in, 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 infinitesimally small. The rate of crime by police, right? Ew. Your police officers—it's a rarity to find a police officer committing a crime. But concealed carry her, uh, uh, permit holders, folks, commit crimes. Let's go on the low end. Let's not even use the one ten. Let's use one sixth. At one sixth the rate of cops. I, and you think they're the problem? Legal gun owners, what data do you have to back that up? The data doesn't back you up. It backs us up. You're just making it up. All right. Now, what's the real crisis here? I'm going to wrap up on this. Folks, the real crisis we have to address here. There's a terrific piece. uh, By the way, that Daily Signal piece will be at the show notes today. Please read it. It's so, so good. Uh, Be at Bongino.com. If you subscribe to my email list, which we always appreciate, I will email you these articles every day along with other selections. I take about two hours every day going through the internet to get you the best stuff out there. I have another piece that will be um, up today at, the, uh, at my show notes. It's from Star Parker. It's really, really good. Star's a friend. And she talks about the real crisis. And this is very serious, folks. The real crisis has been the war on men going on for a very long time in our culture the liberal war on men. We, yeah. We've talked about this you and yeah, I. Yeah. It's it's troubling whether it's the war on boys or the term toxic masculinity or whatever these, you know, new generation liberals want to do um to knock men off this pseudo perch they think we're on here. Um it's been troubling And I just want to give you some numbers to back this up. Star writes about... She's talking about a researcher here, a guy by the name of Nicholas Eberstadt, who wrote a very popular book. And they're talking about the crisis of men working now, or as I should more precisely, the crisis of men not working. Mm. Here's a quote from uh, Eberstadt. The proportion of economically inactive American men of prime working age leapt from 3.4% in 1965. To 11.8% in 2015 and remains at 11.5% today. By my own calculations, this is star talking, almost 5 million prime age working men have disappeared from the workforce. Man. Folks, listen, I'm not your preacher. I'm not. I, I'm i a sinner like everybody else. But gosh, what, what does it do to a man To be in your prime working age and to seemingly have no hope. You know, I like to tie these shows together. There was a reason I started with the Cadell quote. If every election is about the future because people are generally optimistic and like to have hope, every life's about the future too. You know, when you talk to men who've suffered unspeakable horror, who've been POWs in prison camps, I know quite a few of them. And you ask them what got them through it. It was hope. It was a hope that quite literally, it was hope. It was hope that they were going to see their family again, that they were going to get to eat a steak one day again, that they were going to see a movie again, that one day they were going to taste freedom again, that they were going to get out of their, their jail cell and they were going to breathe free air one more time. When you squash that hope, you squash everything. If there were no hope of that ever, if they understood that the if someone had convinced them that the United States as they knew it was now gone and this prison wall was the last thing they were ever going to see, it is over. Elections are about hope, but so are people. Five million guys out there, prime working age with nothing, no hope, no job, no prosper, no, no no prospects. We're wondering why some people turn to crime and violence. What else do you have but the immediate satisfaction of taking what belongs to someone else? You have nothing left. Your life is a vacuum. Folks, that's why I talk all the time about the economy on the show. Because it's not about the economy. It's about hope. It's about work. It's about meaning. It's about jobs. It's about value. It's about imparting value on society. I've seen it firsthand. I know when I lost that first election. I was out of work for a little while. It was devastating. But you know what it did? It spurred me and Joe to do something. It spurred me and Joe on a Sunday in my house at Severna Park, Maryland, Stewart's Landing, to start a show called the Dan Bongino Show at the time. Mm -hmm. And it gave me hope. That's the real crisis, folks. Hey, I really appreciate you tuning in.